You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Being around the team the little that I have, I think this is the first time we feel like uh, the team culture is is where we want it, and it can always get better, but I feel really good about where we are as a football team right now and the, the type of people we have on our team. Our leadership on our football team has been invaluable through this time because without complete access to our players, a lot of stuff has to be led by them and organized by them. Uh, and really through the challenge of this, uh, I've seen that leadership grow. Uh, Coach Duvall seen that leadership grow. Nebraskans all know about Unity Council. We have basically have that started. We have a leadership group on the team that's uh, helped our operations guys and our weight guys handle a lot of the things that need to get handled, a lot of the communication that needs to get handled. That's a pretty big group right now, and there's guys on it from every position. Certainly the offensive linemen in that group, Cam Jurgens and Farniak and Hymas are a big part of it. I've been really impressed with the leadership in our defensive backfield from uh, Deontay and DiCaprio, the tight ends have done a good job. I mean, going across the board, I think our leadership is going to be a lot stronger this year than it's been. And in some ways, uh, the challenge of this virus has brought our team together. I feel like through adversity, uh, our team's probably tighter than it's been since I've been in Nebraska. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. That was just a piece of head coach Scott Frost from his first Zoom interview he's done um, in terms of a group session with reporters um, hasn't done a group interview with um, a large group of media since uh, March. So we covered some ground uh, with Coach Frost in 30 minutes. And, you know, he, one of the things he brought up uh, as we bring in Nate Klaus and, and Robin Washett, uh, the leadership of the team, um, just kind of where that's at. Um, and I think his first year when he was at Nebraska, guys, um, they did have a pretty good core group. And those were Polini guys, um, Tanner Farmer and Gerald Foster and Luke Gifford and Mick Stoltenberg and Stanley Morgan. Um, that group really kind of held the team together in year one. And then we saw in year two, it was a really, really weak senior class. I mean, weak enough where there wasn't enough seniors to have all senior captains um, on the roster because of the, the, the way it was. So I, I think going into year three, you know, he hit on that, the leadership of this team and especially the challenges of having to run workouts without coaches involved, without having coaches organize them um, has been a test. And I think it will help this team um, a as they've gone through the last three months. Well, I think most position group at least has some sort of, if not a senior, a veteran leader of that unit. Now, obviously, there's exceptions, but by and large, um, each each group has a guy they can look to as kind of the, the figurehead of that position group. When you're talking about guys basically having to uh, have a lot of accountability and keep each other on track and um, do things on their own without uh, having their hand held by the coaching staff, that is absolutely critical this year more so than ever. So, uh, you know, having that much experience and, uh, you know, leadership and guys that have been with this coaching staff for two years now, that I think helps kind of just ease um, all this uncertainty and, um, you know, transition that, you know, every program, but, you know, especially Nebraska is going through uh, as they kind of pioneer through this uh, uncharted waters of, you know, the coronavirus era. Yeah. And, and I like, uh, I like the fact that he mentioned the culture is as good as it, it has been. And I think part of it is because you do have that experience at those, at those positions, those leaders there, but you also have the depth and some younger guys that I think are, 
are learning from the leaders and, and becoming leaders themselves. He mentioned Cam Jurgens in the open there. Um, you know, we know a guy like Cam Taylor Britt is another younger guy. Wandale, Wandale. yeah, Wandale Robinson. I mean, you've got some younger, you know, freshmen, sophomores uh, that I think are, are leaders too. And um, and I think that's it can be leadership can be contagious and, and doing the right things and um, and knowing what you know, w- knowing what's expected and what you have to do. Uh, I, I think that that's that's really going to catch on and, and help this program and that was a huge problem last year I mean I think year one when the team was 0-6 that core group I mentioned um, in Scott Frost first year kept that locker room together when how many teams in the country at 0-6 would still be believing in the direction of where it was going they finished 4-2 and and they nearly beat Iowa and they nearly beat Ohio State to ha- have a potential 6-0 and finish to that season um, so that was big I think last year that was what was missing um, when there was adversity you know, they just didn't have the players in place. Uh, Martinez's struggles put him in a tough position to be a leader last year at times. Um, and, you know, Spielman wasn't a vocal guy. Uh, they didn't have a running back of note. I mean, Jack Stoll, I think, was a decent leader. Uh, but, you know, he's not a real productive guy on the field, not making a lot of big plays uh, to change games. Like I say, a Stanley Morgan or Divino Zigbo were doing the year before. Um, so, yeah, I think that will be – um, a real big piece that y- you can't really necessarily measure and know what it's going to mean later in the year. But I-, I think there are just better parts in place on this roster across the board. Well, and, you know, to Nate's point, you know, I think the fact that you're not just relying on three or four guys to carry the load in that regard, I think there's a better understanding of uh, what needs to happen to make this thing work where, uh, you know, you had guys from you know all different coaching staffs and backgrounds and stuff like that. All the, and you were just trying to make a bunch of pieces fit one puzzle. Now you have uh, pretty much guys that you handpicked as a coaching staff uh, to be here. And, you know, the, everybody in theory is, is on the same page. And so you do have better veteran leadership. But I think across the board uh, that uh, just kind of understanding of, of what needs to go on during these critical next few months uh, I think is going to help more than anything you're listening here to the Husker online show guys moving it on here um, and I want to get Nate's thoughts on this uh, the coronavirus and, and just the testing and you know we're, we're seeing this all over the country Kansas State had a group of players that evidently you know they tested and they were told that they couldn't leave Riley County which is where Manhattan is and a group of guys evidently might have went out to a lake or done something and it resulted in in positive tests and you know, that is, I think, the real battle we're going to be fighting, not just with sports, but everything in this culture, in this country, as we move forward. What will be the protocol when positive tests happen um, in schools this year, when kids are back in school, teachers are back in school? What will be the protocol with athletes, et cetera? Because the, the positive tests are going to happen. We know that. But are they symptomatic? Are there hospitalizations involved? Um, you know, there, there are other factors, I think, that have to be measured and looked at. Um, but I, I just think some of these alarms that have gone off in places like Houston or Manhattan, Kansas, um, in the last week um, have really led to some interesting dialogue and discussion of how we're going to play this in the season. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you have to you not only do you have to have a protocol in place, but you have to know as a, as a team, as as uh, somebody's teammate, that you've got to be responsible. And when, when your coach says don't leave the county, you can't leave the county because then you put not only yourself at risk, but everybody else on the team at risk. And so, um, you know, and, and Frost kind of touched on that a little bit that, um, you know, they're not making guys sign a waiver or anything. They understand what the rules are and, and you know, how they're supposed to handle themselves and, and conduct themselves. And 
Um, yeah, I, I think that it's it is crucial to have those protocols in place because it is going to happen. But I think the biggest thing is just everyone being on board and, and following the rules and, and understanding that, hey, if I'm reckless, I can not only endanger myself here, but I could endanger my teammates, which in turn could endanger the whole season. I think the kind of scariest part about all this, or at least one of them, is that everybody's just kind of doing this on the fly and that while you may have a plan in place, there are a lot of things that can happen that can throw that plan out the window. And so, you know, a team like Nebraska specifically, who's uh, kind of at the forefront of this reopening back to football movement, you know, they're going to have to address issues before other schools do. And they're going to lay the groundwork of how to handle what happens when multiple players test positive or, or, you know, whatever it may be. And so what Nebraska does will have a ripple effect with how the rest of college football goes forward over the next few months leading into the season. Yeah, the quarantine process is, is big. I mean, Nebraska, I know, is very strict. If they have a player that tests positive, they have to have back-to-back negative tests before they're allowed back out of quarantine. And, um, you know, we know they've had at least one player um, in the release the school sent out that tested positive. Um, but the, the protocol and, and just how strict you, you enforce that is, is really going to be big. And Scott Frost did say, guys, on the conference call or the Zoom call, they're not going to make the players sign a non-binding health pledge or waiver. Um, we've seen some schools do it, but it's, it's a non-legally binding document. Um, that, you know, Ohio State, for example, had all their athletes sign. And Nebraska's not going to – Scott Frost said, look, our guys know. We've talked about it. We're not going to have them sign some sort of document um, that, you know, if you get COVID, you know the risk. I mean, because we all know the risk. Everybody in this right. country knows the risk um, if we go out and do things right now and, and go places. Yeah, and so that's where it comes down to player accountability. A program and a coaching staff can have all these rules and uh, strategies and protocols in place, but really the most important factor of all is you know, going to be will a player do what he's supposed to do and keep himself out of high-risk situations? And if he's feeling sick, will he say something? Or will he not you know, just write it off as a cold or whatever it may be? Uh, that type of uh, just you know, personal accountability within – 18 to 22 year old kids will probably be uh, as big of a determining factor of how this thing is addressed going forward than anything. Yeah, and if you're looking to gain an edge, possibly it is by having a team that's very accountable. It's by having a team that has you know good leadership and um, that that has actually been working hard over the quarantine and and everything. And uh, I think that that is something that could possibly give uh, a team like Nebraska a little bit of an edge in the fall. All right, when we come back, guys, I want to discuss some of the movement on the offensive line. Uh, We learned that from Scott Frost. Um, Yesterday was really one of the only personnel things of note. So we'll discuss what Nebraska's offensive line might look like next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I think missing spring ball is going to hurt us in some ways. You know, guys like Bryce Benhart, who, you know, we're, we're counting on to, to be a player for us this year. And, and there's other guys like that, but just picking out one name, uh, losing out on those reps uh, certainly isn't ideal. Those would have been valuable reps for him. We've also had to kind of fast track some of those decisions that we might have had time to examine a little closer in the spring. And it's interesting you ask about Matt. Through talking during this time, I think we're going to probably start him out at right guard. 
Uh, just expecting there to be a younger player at, at right tackle, potentially uh, having a veteran with Hymas on the left side of the line and a veteran with Matt on the right side of the line, I think will help whoever's playing left guard and whoever's playing right tackle. Uh, also give us the ability to move Matt back out to right tackle a lot easier if he's playing on the right side. Again, th those are decisions I think we would have had time to evaluate and examine a lot more closely if we'd have had spring practice and, and we've had to make them a little quicker now that we know we're going to be limited in the number of reps that we're going to get. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. That was Scott Frost discussing um, some shuffling on that offensive line. I think we all knew Matt Farniak was going to move to guard. That was talked about in the spring. That's where he was going to start out. Uh, but initially, that discussion had him at left guard next to veteran Brennan Hymas. So you'd have a three-year starter in, in, in Farniak and a three-year starter in, in Hymas. You know, guys both going into their fourth years at Nebraska as starters um, but now they're going to kind of spread the wealth a little bit. They want Matt Farniak at right guard um, where, you know, he if he had to slide back to right tackle for some odd reason, it would be safer. Um, but you'll have Cam Jurgens at center. Bryce Benhart will go in as your number one right tackle. Um, and then they'll essentially be a three-man battle for left guard between Bo Wilson, Ethan Piper, the redshirt freshman out of Norfolk Catholic, um, and then Trent Hickson. Um, so that will be interesting to see. And to me, guys, it does set up for a guy like Piper, who also will be Nebraska's number two center behind Juergens this year, that he could potentially make a run and win that job as a redshirt freshman. Yeah, he is very much at the forefront uh, of that discussion. Obviously, he's got veteran guys he's got to beat out in Hickson and uh, Bo Wilson. But uh, Ethan Piper has been getting talked about for a long time now, basically since he got on campus. And uh, a guy of that profile, um, you know, obviously there were high expectations and he lived up to those based off the reports we got from, you know, from Greg Austin and from his teammates. So he's going to have every opportunity to win that job. And, you know, like I said, he's got some veteran guys that he's got to beat out, but I think just his physical makeup, I think is you know a lot more conducive to what they want the future of that offensive line to be. And so um, you know, I think, going back to the move of Farniak moving to right side as opposed to the left side, I think that's a smart decision because, you know, obviously Ben Hart, he's going to be learning on the fly. Piper, if he wins the job, will be learning on the fly. And having two veterans there, you know, right next to you, if you have a question even before a snap, you have a guy that's played as much football as anybody on this team telling you what you need to do. Uh, that is very valuable. And I guess the good thing is that it's a fluid situation, like Frost said, that if things don't work out, they have the ability to mix and match. And across the offensive line, I think the, the interchangeable pieces, whether it be playing either guard spot or center guard or tackle guard, they have more options on that offensive line that they've had in a long time, and that will be extremely valuable. Yeah, I think having a guy like uh, Farniak right next to Ben Hart there is going to be invaluable. Um, and, and overall, I mean, the, the depth here is what stands out to me. Uh, regardless of, of the, the mixing and matching of the starting five that's going on, I think it, it shows that there's a lot of depth and that there, the fact that there's a lot of uh, legit competition taking place and, and guys that are going to be, um, you know, legitimate backups too, I, I think is something that we really haven't seen out of the offensive line in a long time. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm really high on Piper, and, and you can tell – 
from listening to Greg Austin talk over the last, you know, all of last year, uh, that that uh, he's somebody who was who was impressing the staff too. And and I don't, you know, usually for a true freshman offensive lineman, it's the the physicality, the the physical part that they have to adjust to. And I don't know if that was necessarily the case for him. It was probably more of the, um, you know, his learning curve was probably more of just adjusting to Big Ten football coming from a smaller school, but. Uh, I, I think he's somebody who, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing in the fall, that's for sure. When you just think about the depth now, guys, uh, just how deep it goes after that starting group. I mean, we mentioned there's three guards potentially that could fight for that one guard job alone, but there's also Brock Bando. Um, there, there, there's also Christian Gaylord, uh, Christian Gaylord um, that are veteran guys that have played football at Nebraska um, that are in the conversation for, to be depth. And then you have two very, very promising freshmen and redshirt freshmen um, and Brant Banks, who ideally will be your number two left tackle behind Hymas, and then Turner Corcoran as a true freshman could end up being the number two right tackle. Um, you know, and then Nuri Noelli, the Colorado State transfer, they're going to put a waiver in for him. And I think what they're hoping for is he could play in up to four games and still redshirt this year. Um, so they're well on their way. And of all the things about this rebuild at Nebraska, this has been the hardest thing because you can't just make a line in two days. You can't make it in one recruiting class. Um, like Scott Frost told us in that interview a couple weeks ago, um, Dane Altman always said this comment at Oregon when he was there, you, you got to get old and you got to stay old, meaning you just got to keep reloading your team with old guys, old players. And the line in college football is really an important area where that has to happen. Well, especially when you consider what they inherited in year one. I mean, they had you know a couple of veteran pieces that – uh, you know, I guess we're kind of the, the, the linchpins of that, but uh, they also didn't have any depth behind them. And when those injuries happened, they were massive steps back uh, in just the, the productivity and ability on that offensive line. And so you look at where they are now. I mean, the, between the true sophomores, redshirt freshmen, and true freshmen, uh, that is a extremely nice core of talent and depth that uh, that's taken, you know, going into year three, to finally build that stable up to where it needed to be. Now, obviously, we're still looking at Nebraska having to rely on a lot of inexperience and a lot of young guys that have not been battle tested. But you got to get tested at some point. And if this is the year where you know guys got to kind of go through a bit of a learning curve, that still sets you up over the next two years to have an extremely bolstered offensive line uh, that would be, like I said, as good as that group has been in a long time. Yeah, they're inexperienced, but um, you know, by all accounts, it seems like they have the the talent, and the staff has, uh, you know, believes in their their ability here. You know, when was the last time you had uh, three offensive linemen coming into a, a recruiting class that actually panned out and and could potentially <laughs> play, be three or four year starters? I mean, because you, you have Ben Hart, Piper, and Banks, who are all going to be probably in the two deep at least here. Um, you know, and, and if that if that happens, that 2019 offensive line class. Uh, I mean, I think we're all going to look back at that that O line class and and say, dang, they they did a heck of a job. Then you infuse a guy like Corcoran in there, and um, I mean, that's that's getting old and staying old eventually. That that's where it starts. And, t- and people in the Pelini era took that for granted. They had guys like Searles and Quali and uh, uh, Spencer Long, and I mean, multiple NFL level guys that you know, stabilized the line situation. Zach Stirrup came in the mix, NFL guy, and Alex Lewis was brought in, NFL guy. 
Um, I mean, they they brought in a good group of linemen that were NFL caliber guys. And, you know, that made it pretty easy for Taylor Martinez and Amir Abdullah and Rex Burkhead to operate the offense and run things. And they just haven't had that. Yeah, and when Nebraska has a legitimate offensive line, they are contenders in the Big Ten Conference. It is a direct correlation, and the reason Nebraska has not been competitive is because their offensive line hasn't been anywhere near the level it's needed to be. To win in this conference, you have to win in the trenches. And it kind of seems like a old uh, you know cliche, but it is reality in the Big Ten. When you want to win critical conference games in November, it starts with your five guys up front, and not only those five guys, but the depth you have behind them to sustain them over the course of a full season. And Nebraska finally seems to have that uh, at least much more so than uh, certainly the, since Frost has been here and even back to the previous staff. Well, and you think about, you know, if, if they feel like they're upgrading at right tackle, they're upgrading at, at uh, right guard and potentially upgrading at, at left guard, uh, I mean, think about how that could impact the offense and, and the play calls and, the, you know, what they're able to run and what they're able to do. Um, you know, we saw Dedrick Mills towards the end of the season last year just uh, really kind of get into a groove running. You know, if, if they can establish a power run game to go along with, with some of their, their spread look and, and um, you know, give, give Adrian Martinez some more time and, and have him feel comfortable back there, all of a sudden I think you're looking at, at uh, what's a better representation of Scott Frost's offense. All right, guys, when we come back, uh, we are going to talk some basketball. The Robin Washett offers started to go out this week, um, and we saw a new in-state offer in Grand Island. We'll get Robin's thoughts on that and the status of you know, the roster and who's in town next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Robin Washington talking Nebraska basketball and robin um it was kind of a unofficial holiday in your world the basketball recruiting this week um a lot of official offers went out um and locally isaac trout from grand island um a rising 2022 um picked up some offers so he's only going into his junior season um but you're seeing his name really really rise quickly here um despite the fact no one's been able to really see him play aau basketball this year yeah, not at all. I and mean, a lot of it's just based on uh, what he did during his high school season, which was a very productive season. I mean, he's a six foot eight kid that uh, shot, you know, in the upper 30s, I think 37, 38% from three point range, uh, you know, last season at, at Grand Island. And uh, more importantly, there were a lot of cases where he was running the point. So, you know, a kid that size basically running the offense uh, in Nebraska high school basketball. You don't see that very often. So that kind of immediately made him jump out a little bit. But, uh, you know, honestly, it's funny because uh, Rivals was actually at the forefront of uh, introducing Isaac Trout to uh, the rest of the country when they did a, um, you know, under the radar spotlight on him and kind of just talked about his game. Well, when the 2022 rankings were updated uh, you know, a few weeks ago, Isaac made his debut at 118 overall nationally. So a significant jump from uh, almost a, an obscure player on the national stage to being a you know top 120 player uh, who already has now multiple high major offers. Um, you know Kansas State's offered, Nebraska's offered, Creighton's offered. Uh, he's getting in, uh, interest from you know, Missouri, Stanford, uh, and multiple other you know high major schools, Oklahoma State. And so I think when all is said and done, he's just scratched the surface on his potential and where his recruiting profile 
could go down the stretch. And now the good news is that, um, you know, while the summer and spring AAU opportunities were limited, he's going to have a lot of eyeballs on him this season, you know, whenever they are able to return to basketball. Uh, and I think that more and more schools are going to figure out who he is so that that offer list is going to get a lot longer before all of a sudden done, which makes Nebraska pulling the trigger on an offer now uh, so important. And what's your sense? I mean, you look at this kid. Do you know much about him? I mean, was he a Husker kid growing up? Um, I mean, you would think most kids from central Nebraska are Nebraska guys. We know Creighton's getting involved. Um, what's your read on that? Is he a guy that's going to want to stay at one of the two in-state schools, or do you think he's going to really gonna test the waters here as he's getting some big offers? There is an appeal there for him to stay in-state. And, yes, he did grow up a Husker fan. Maybe not so much Nebraska basketball, but definitely Nebraska football. And, uh, you know, I asked him that, you know, does an offer from Nebraska mean more being an in-state kid than you know maybe some of the other ones that you have and he said yeah it definitely does he said everybody that i hang out with all my family members they've always been husker fans and me getting a nebraska offer uh that really means a lot more not only to to me but to my family and to my community so um you know i think that helps in a big point and um, also, I think that he's really interested in uh, Fred Hoiberg's system and playing for a guy with Fred Hoiberg's track record. I and mean, obviously with his skill set being long and being able to, to handle the basketball and shoot from the perimeter, uh, that is the ideal combo for what Fred is looking for. So it makes sense in a lot of different ways, uh, but certainly that in-state connection is going to give Nebraska an edge over any other school, maybe outside of Creighton. Yeah, that will be uh, something interesting um, because, yeah, when you think of Omaha kids, it's a tough battle for Nebraska to, to get an Omaha kid head to head from Creighton. Um, if Creighton's involved, there could also, uh, you wonder Robin, could the Dana Altman Oregon factor, could they look at this guy? We know Dana Altman comes back to Nebraska a lot. He's been seen in the coach's office here in Lincoln with doc and Hoiberg. Could somebody like the ducks and Dana Altman with strong Nebraska ties. Um, is that a guy you could see getting involved with this kid too? Wouldn't surprise me. I mean, again, he's a national recruit. Uh, when you're in the 150, suddenly people are going to take notice. So, yeah, I mean, I think Oregon would be uh, dumb not to do its due diligence and um, you know, with those connections Dana has here to, to check it out. But, uh, you know, they're not going to be the only ones. Uh, you know, I think this is a kid that, like I said, is just getting started with his recruitment. And he's going to have many schools to choose from, many high major offers to choose from when all said and done. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Robin, what other trends did you notice just not only from Nebraska, but the local angle as far as 22s and, and, and other guys picking up more steam. Well, with the 2022 class for Nebraska, they have, as it stands right now, they will have eight open scholarships for the 2022 class, which is insane because with 21, they have currently one open scholarship. So uh, there's that, some work to do. That's going to be a pretty major process. Uh, revamping that so yeah I mean they the offers you know they weren't just geared towards one or two positions they were across the board you saw centers you saw point guards you saw wings and so um, you know there's going to be like I said a, a lot of needs with that 22 class which makes Monday that that kind of first official kickstart to the 2022 recruiting process so important so that is when you establish the kind of the the legitimate foundation for these relationships that uh, are going to carry you over the next two recruiting cycles to where these kids are about to sign. So, um, you know, they, 
they dished out a lot of offers. They made a ton of phone calls. You know, in Husker Online, I got a list of, you know, like 20 or so kids, most of which in the Rivals 150 that, you know, Nebraska's in pursuit of. So uh, it's kind of this is the, the first step towards narrowing down kind of their, their key targets for 22, and there's going to be a lot of them, uh, especially uh, depending on any other further roster attrition that happens over the next two years. Do you think they're kind of – doubling down that the one-time transfer rule will yes. be in effect and yes they're going to be in such a great position with those spots right yes so uh they're not all going to be uh, off this list of 22 recruits i mean there's going to be a lot of transfers there will always be a lot of transfers with the way fred hoberg and matt abnomasi recruit it's just the way it is especially so when that one-time transfer rule is put into place I mean, that opens up an entirely new market of players that uh, you know, normally you would have to sacrifice a scholarship for two years at minimum to get them to play. Now they can come in just like a grad transfer. And so, uh, I mean, that changes the whole landscape of recruiting and Nebraska, you know, with their history with transfers, I'm sure will be as, uh, you know, interested as any program in the country uh, in capitalizing on that new transfer rule. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Robin, in the schedule release this week as well for the non-conference. We still don't know the opponent for Nebraska as far as the ACC challenge goes, but we do know it's going to be a home game. Yes. Um, that would be three years in a row on the road, but, um, and we don't know obviously who they'll line up against in the Myrtle beach. Um, we have, we, we know who their first game will be against right in Myrtle beach. Even no, they don't have the bracket out yet. So no bracket. They're going to kind of, they re, they kind of seed that to get the best looking championship. Is that how they do those? Right. So it's not going to be a first round game between two high majors. They're going to space that out to hopefully, uh, you know, that, that, semifinal championship game have you know your, your bigger names play each other but the good news is about that myrtle beach uh tournament is it the field is so much better than the one that they had at the cayman islands classic last year where uh based off the previous season's rpi new mexico state was your best team and based off uh just school names washington state was the only other and Nebraska played them in the first round, yeah, right? So it was it was a, a worthless tournament in a lot of ways. Who beat Nebraska in the second game in that? Uh, George Mason. Okay. So uh, anyway, the the field in Myrtle Beach has Missouri, Pittsburgh, Dayton, Utah State, and then filled out by Loyola, Chicago, Charlotte, and Penn. So those four schools: Dayton, uh, Missouri, Pittsburgh, Utah State. That will give Nebraska a pretty good opportunity to at least play one of those so you're at least going to get uh, a power five school in you know missouri pittsburgh or one of the best mid-major opponents and uh, rpi schools in dayton and utah state so uh i'm very curious to see kind of what the draw is and what the path nebraska could get out of that and so you pair that with you know we'll see what happens with the acc challenge i'm not holding my breath it's going to be any of the big dogs you're probably looking at like a Virginia Tech or North Carolina State or something like that. Uh, Just so, give us Notre Dame or someone I know, cool. I know. So, uh, I mean, if, did Nebraska play them in an Orange Bowl? If yes. Yeah, Nebraska actually, will, Bob Devaney's final game yeah. <laughs> was against so, Notre Dame so in I an Orange Bowl. I guess Notre Dame is in that pool. My point is that those are the only matchups that Nebraska basketball gets is if they're it's football the Orange team. Bowl classic. Yes, exactly. So, uh, you paired – okay, so uh, with all that said – this is a step in the right direction of making it a more difficult schedule, certainly than what they had a year ago. Last year was about as weak of a non-con slate as you could possibly draw up. Now Nebraska's got a little bit more 
juiced to it. Now it's not a great schedule. It's not like a Tim Miles schedule where they had Kansas and they get you UCLA. fired. Schedule. Yeah, they get you. <laughs> so they, they don't have that. But uh, you know, you you have the Myrtle Beach, you have the ACC game, you have uh, the neutral site. K State. That, that's Kansas the game State. that excites me the yeah. most. And then obviously, you know, your two uh, Big Ten games in, in early December, they're going to be very are much better tested going into the uh, meat of the Big Ten schedule than they were last year, certainly. And I think a lot of that has to do with them feeling more comfortable with the roster that they have in place, certainly, than they did a year ago. All right, when we come back, we're going to take questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I don't have any worries or concerns about Luke, to be honest with you. He's one of the hardest working kids on our team. He spends all his time on football. He's going to be ready. All the reports I'm getting is that he's whipping it around really good and throwing better than anybody's ever seen him throw. So I feel real confident about him. Obviously, with Logan being new and enrolling early, missing those spring practices wasn't ideal for him either. Uh, But we'll get him caught up. You know, we were sad to see Noah Vedro leave. But I, I feel great about those three kids and some of the ones behind them. And that is going to allow us the opportunity to, to focus the repetitions in, in fall camp on the, the three guys. And I think they'll get plenty of reps in fall, and, and we'll get Logan caught up. And we're back here on the Husker Line Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus. Uh, we are internless for now. As as you heard last week, Allie Snow has moved on to a position at Channel 8 News in Lincoln, and Grace Harmon has moved on as well. Uh, Blake Arney, one of our other interns, is back in Kansas City, so we are doing a mailbag, uh, and I'm going to do my best to, to man us um, through the questions, and I pulled a few questions, guys, off the weekly chat as we go through it. Um, and, and our first question is, now that it has been several years, when Frost was hired, did he reach out to any highly ranked former commits? Did he even try to get Bookie back? And this would be a great question here for Nate. Yes, he did. They and actually, I mean, Frost and the whole staff reached out to a lot of those guys, including Buki, um, you know, Joshua Moore, and, and a handful of those those um, you know, highly ranked players that, that had committed to Riley, uh, but had either decommitted uh, after the season started going down the tube, or or after Riley had been officially fired, or whatever. But um, you know, I'll be honest. In a lot of those cases, they. You know, from from talking with those kids, from talking with uh, their coaches, trainers, whatever, uh, they they moved on pretty quickly. There there weren't too many that they went after really hard, and and that I think they would have said, man, we would have liked to had him in the class, but it just didn't work out. I think I think with a lot of those guys, they felt like, you know what, yeah, I don't know if he really fits what we're what we're trying to do here, and and so we're we're going to go our separate ways. All right, you're listening here to the Husker Alliance Show, taking your questions in the mailbag. Next question, um, early hints on the top four wide receivers. To me, guys, I think it's pretty – if I had to guess, I feel pretty confident about this. Wondell Robinson, Cade Warner, Omar Manning, Alante Brown. Yeah, it's really – the question for me is just that, that fourth spot. I think it's one of those – incoming freshman probably is going to be uh, the eventual winner of that but uh you know based off the reports you know that, that i know you've shared and that we've heard is about alante brown seems like he's certainly uh probably got a leg up maybe uh, against some of the other guys but you know we'll we'll see how those guys kind of hit the ground running now that they're able to slowly start working their way in with the team but uh, those top three i think are pretty solidified it's just a matter of you know who that next guy uh, the fourth guy out of that group of freshmen yeah i don't i don't really see there being much much uh movement in that top three there but 
Um, I think you could throw Elante Brown in there, and then I, I'm interested to see, you know, if, how how Xavier Betts can do. Uh, I mean, obviously, I, I I think he's talented. I know he's talented enough to to see the field early, and make an early impact. Um, you know, I mean, even uh, Fleming or or Will Nixon. I mean, all those newcomers I, I think are going to have going to have a, a really good shot at, at making making a run at that spot. And um, you know, and, and Chris Hickman too yeah. is is somebody that I think is not being mentioned a whole lot. Um, he's going to play. He's definitely going to play. And, and, you know, if I were going to name a sleeper in that wide receiver room, I, it'd probably be Chris Hickman. I, the, he, I mean, he is a football junkie. The blocking. Yeah, he's the yeah, best blocker the best in that blocker, group. best um, blocker, and he's a very hard worker. I mean, you heard Frost in, in the open there kind of talk about, uh, you know, Luke being, being a, a football junkie and, and never having to worry about how hard he's working or, or how much he's studying. I mean, Hickman is, is wired uh, the, the same way. He's just – he's very quiet uh, and goes about his business so I, I wouldn't sleep on him they either. need to get receivers that can just get out there and knock the crap out of secondary guys to set up those number those three on two type plays yep. where your two guys block the two defenders and then a Wandell Robinson or Alante Brown or whoever can run in space and, and make reads I mean that that to me was a huge missing element to the offense last year. There's, there's so much of the playbook wasn't even be, being able to be utilized because they couldn't block it. Uh, they couldn't block it on the perimeter in the run game, and those like bubble screens and that stuff never got set up because guys couldn't block. Now they at least have some guys that are a little bit more formidable in that regard. Yeah, if you if you see a swing pass this year, <laughs> much much to the dismay <laughs> of some people on the Red Sea Scrolls, I, I think it may look a little bit different with blocking on the perimeter. All right, next question here in the mailbag. What do you guys truly believe will happen with the quarterback position this season? I mean, I think logically Martinez has the leg up, but what kind of opportunity will McCaffrey get? I mean, we know he's going to be locked in, focused. He's highly respected in the locker room. What will that look like in July and August? And if you know, if he really did make a serious run, would it have to happen after the first few games of the season if Martinez struggled, or could he make a really serious run in camp? That's really the debate, and I, I, I tend to lean more on the other side that it would be more Martinez's struggles that would get him into the starting role sometime early in the season. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, barring injury or illness, I think the only path to Luke McCaffrey unseating Taylor Mar- or Adrian Taylor. Martinez <laughs> as the starter this season would be uh, Adrian uh, showing no improvements and regressing back to the problems he dealt with all last season. And uh, if that happens, you would hope there would be a much shorter leash on Adrian that would allow Luke to get some legitimate opportunities, not just to sprinkle in on some, you know, trick plays or some gadget stuff, but to go out there and run a meaningful drive in a meaningful point in the game and just see what he can do commanding the offense. And I would hope that happens anyway, even if Adrian's playing well, uh, you know, maybe sprinkle in McCaffrey as a change of pace guy to, uh, or if maybe it's not necessarily Adrian, but the offense is sputtering a bit, throw Luke out there just to maybe uh, give a little bit of a jolt to the rest of the offense. And one of the interesting thing is this is a situation where you have a much easier ability to do that because of the players involved. Both of Adrian Martinez and Luke McCaffrey are so respected already. I mean, even a guy like Luke with his age by their teammates, uh, with the leadership they've shown uh, over the past two years, I think those guys would handle it as well as you could possibly imagine a potential uh, quarterback quote-unquote controversy going so uh, I think that they have the ability to do it and I think Nebraska will be well served to try to get Luke in there as much as they can I think the most ideal way for that to happen is if Nebraska's up big 
and, and Nebraska, which hasn't happened. Which a lot. has not happened. Yeah, I, I mean, I, shoot, I don't remember the last time Maryland. Maryland. Yeah, I mean, yeah, outside of the Maryland game, South it, Alabama been, is even a dicey game. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time since you've had a, a big time blowout where the the twos and threes got a lot of time. But yeah, I agree. I, I don't see Adrian um, losing that spot unless unless something goes majorly wrong. Uh, in fact, I, I'm I'm kind of. I think we're going to be poised to see Adrian have a major bounce back year. I think he's, I think he's going to look like a whole nother player. Um, you know, assuming that the offensive line is better and, and that the wide receivers are where they're supposed to be and so on and so forth. I, I think that, I think we're going to see more of what we expected to see um, or what we, what we saw as a freshman, as, as a junior. All right. Quick answer to this one, guys. Would you guys have traded Mark Sanchez for Zach Taylor and Harrison Beck, and my answer to that is no. Um, I, Zach Taylor was the Big Ten or Big Twelve Player of the Year in 06. He led Nebraska. Um, I mean, they they easily could have been a 12 and one team in 2006. I mean, they they lost multiple close games. They went nine and three in the regular season, lost in the Big Twelve title game, lost to a very good Auburn team in the Cotton Bowl. Um, so no, I I just don't know if that would have really made a difference. Um, long term, but it would have been interesting if Mark Sanchez came to Nebraska. Yeah, and again, Mark Sanchez had a lot to work with on those USC teams, and so uh, just because he did well there doesn't mean anybody could have done there. And the fact that Zach Taylor was the perfect fit for a quarterback in Bill Callahan's system, uh, I would not trade him for anything. And plus, I mean, that guy is as, as born natural of a leader as you're going to get. I mean, everybody loves Zach Taylor, and having a player with that ability and all those intangibles off the field, uh, I don't think you replace a guy like that. Yeah, I mean, it makes for an interesting question uh, because, and for those who don't know, um, you know, it basically, Bill Callahan let Harrison Beck and Mark Sanchez know that there was one spot in the class and, and whoever accepted it first was, was going to get it. And Sanchez was, was set to visit about a week or two uh, before uh, Harrison Beck jumped on the offer. So that visit obviously got canceled. So, I mean, it makes for a, for a good question, but I think Zach Taylor was the perfect quarterback at that at that point in time uh, for, for Nebraska. I don't know if I would uh, trade him for Sanchez. All right, final question uh, on a lighter note. Father's Day weekend, and uh, we all have um, two children each, so we'll have a busy weekend. Any, any good Father's Day plans for you guys? For the last three years, I've been doing uh, going to a baseball game of some sort on Father's Day, and I don't believe that is going to happen unless I go to like some like buddy's kids little league game or something. Get on the family list. It starts up. Yeah. This baseball starts up this week locally. I know, I know. So I don't know if that tradition is going to continue. So we'll have to find something else to do. And on top of that, I'm getting my deck replaced this week, so I don't even have a deck to like grill out and you know do the. Where's that trigger at on the ground? Yeah, well, I got to put it somewhere, probably in the garage. So I'll make it work. Don't you worry about that. It just won't be nearly as convenient as it otherwise would be. I don't have any plans as of right now. Hopefully, you know, hopefully I can get out and, and go golfing or something. I I don't know. I'm sure that I'll be grilling. There'll be some some steak involved or, or some meat of some sort and, and some some beverages. But other than that, I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, if, if if it's a successful day, if you can maybe sleep till eight in our house and eight o'clock's like noon. Yeah. And then if you get to pick the restaurant, I mean, those are those are about those are about your your two requests you can pull off being a, a father with 
a house full of kids and, and, and everything else. Yeah, well, I, I have a feeling my three-month-old is not going to care too much about what day it is because uh, he's going to want what he's going to want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, happy Father's Day both to, to you guys and all the fathers out there listening. Uh, hope you guys have a wonderful Father's Day weekend. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk recruiting. It's been busy. Nebraska got another commit last week. They might have another one brewing. We'll get Nate Klaus's thoughts on that next. You're listening to your last Carline show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, we're not going to do a pledge. Our guys understand the rules involved with being around. Uh, I'd be shocked if there was a team or a organization in sports that has been more careful and followed protocol more strictly than we have. But I don't think I need to get our kids to sign anything. They understand what's at stake, and, and they're doing a good job of following all the regulations that, that we put forth. Our, our newcomers right now are, are just doing bridge to get uh, indoctrinated, indoctrinated to the campus. We're not in a normal summer access period right now, so this it doesn't look like a, a normal summer yet, but we were able to bring them in when they started summer classes. So the majority of those guys are here, but we haven't had a chance to do much with them yet. And back here, final segment of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, that was head coach Scott Frost on just kind of what's going on. Uh, number one, they're not going to have their players sign any kind of pledge. We hit on that early. And then number two, just kind of what the newcomers can do. Uh, but before we delve into recruiting and future newcomers, uh, the segment of the Husker Online Show is brought to you by our friends, Nate, at Coogler Vision. Tell us the latest with Coogler Vision. Coogler Vision uh, still continue to be extremely impressed with uh, with the customer service uh, that they have provided on top of my better than 2020 vision. Um, you know, and right now it's, it's uh, more important than ever for them to go above and beyond, not only for your vision, but uh, but to keep you safe. And they've implemented the telehealth uh, screenings. They, they have, you can meet with the doctors uh, over the phone. You can go to kuglervision.com, take a quiz to see what type of of uh, vision correction best fits you uh, and, and line up a free consultation from there and uh, you know and, and they will take care of you I, again I, I cannot be more impressed with everything that they've done for me all right Nate back to recruiting now Nebraska got commitment number 10 from Will Schweitzer um, a outside linebacker in a 3-4 scheme 6-4 215 high motor high energy very intelligent kid um, you know, can play DN, can play OLB, but obviously in Nebraska's scheme, he'll be in that OLB spot. Your thoughts on commit number 10, Will Schweitzer? Yeah, I think he's a great fit. I mean, obviously, he fits the mold uh, from a size and athletic standpoint. I mean, he's 6'4, 215. He's got that height and that length that they have continued to, to want to add to the position and what they've needed to add. I mean, ever since day one, Eric Chenander said, man, uh, we have to get longer, uh, especially on the edges there. And, and so that means defensive end, that means outside linebacker. And, and uh, Schweitzer uh, brings that to the table. But he's a natural pass rusher. Um, and, in fact, I think he's at his best when he's coming off the edge rushing the passer. He's got a lot of, a lot of moves in his arsenal already. Um, he's very quick and explosive off the edge, um, it, and, and I think that that's going to suit him well uh, when he gets to Nebraska. You know, and he's got that frame to continue to grow and develop into. 
but you mentioned a motor too, and that's another thing that really stands out to me as the the fact that he is constantly going at a hundred percent. He plays defensive end, outside linebacker, inside linebacker, tight end. Uh, does a little bit of everything for his uh, Los Gatos uh, California high school football team there, and so. Um, you know, just a really impressive guy. He's got 22 offers to his name, uh, had offers from every Power 5 conference in the country. And, um, you know, you got to tip your hat to the job that Tony Toyote did in first finding him. And then Mike Dawson and Eric Chenander, too, really worked hard to, uh, to eventually lock him up uh, to give the Huskers their 10th commit. And, Nate, my just fear with California kids in general historically, do they fit here culturally? Do they fit in the Big Ten and, and the kind of the, the layout here? And he does sound different than your typical Cal. I mean, when you think of California kids, you think of, you know, just kids. He's not a surfer. Sur- surfer. You know, he's not a laid back beach they, they, beach goer. They don't like hunting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's an inside joke of the squirrels there. Yeah. Um, we there was a, a debate about a parent with another parent of a recruit about hunting. Um, and it was a California parent with a Midwest recruit. But anyway, yeah, he, he just feels like a better fit. Yeah, and I, I think he is a good fit. And, you know, and, and I think Nebraska has kind of learned, you know, a lesson a time or two here with, uh, with recruiting some guys that maybe weren't fits or maybe they're trying to force it to be a fit. Uh, but Will Schweitzer is not that, not that type of guy. I think he does fit very well. Um, now he's never been on a on a official, you know, an, an unofficial or a true official visit to Nebraska, but he has been through Lincoln before, and he said that, um, you know, he enjoyed the city. He, he's looking forward to moving to the Midwest, um, you know, and, and I think he says that he'll feel comfortable out here. And um, again, he's not he's not your typical California guy. He's not really wired that way. He's he's a football guy, and uh, and I think that's what's going to allow him to kind of uh, fit into this program well. You're listening here. To- to the Husker online show as we talk recruiting, Nate. Um, some things shaking, nothing yet, uh, but give Nebraska fans maybe a couple of names. I know you've put in some future casts on or forecast uh, on arrivals for guys. Uh, give us a couple of insider thoughts on what you're watching. Well, yeah, there's there's a, a handful of guys that I think Nebraska is sitting really well with right now, and I think you have to start with Latrell Neville, the four-star wide receiver out of the Houston area, uh, High Tower High School, six four one ninety. He's got forty plus offers uh, from schools like Oklahoma, Ohio State, Alabama. Uh, Texas I mean pretty much everybody in the country had committed to Virginia Tech um, you know when Demetrius Davis uh, who is a four-star quarterback from Houston had committed to the Hokies and uh, I think they at that point in time maybe wanted to wanted to be a little bit of a package deal but uh, for whatever reason that 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 commitment didn't didn't last all that long Uh, he backed off of that and uh, you know Nebraska was recruiting him hard before that uh, they continued to recruit him hard while he was committed. And then, you know, when he backed off of it, I think that uh, that relationship that, uh, and that constant communication that the Huskers have had with him uh, is, is seeming to pay off in, in, in a big way. He's going to be announcing his decision on July 4th, um, and I have predicted him to, to pick the Huskers. And so, um, you know, that's – and that would be a huge get. He's, I mean, again, you're talking about a 6'4", 190-pound wide receiver, which is something that Nebraska uh, hasn't landed too many of uh, over, the, over the last few years, uh, really until this past, past year's recruiting class uh, with Omar Manning and, and Xavier Betts. So, um, you know, another couple guys to keep an, an eye on is uh, Christian Burkhalter, an outside linebacker from, from Alabama. Gabe Irvin is a running back from Georgia. 
Um, you know, I, I think that Nebraska is still sitting pretty well with Thomas Fedoni out of Iowa, uh, who's arguably their top overall target. Actually, he is their top overall target. Could be a four-year starter yeah, in Nebraska. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, I mean, he's he is a very – he's a must-get type of guy. And he's getting – he's still getting new – Still getting – It, it kind of confuses me, these teams that come in, like yeah. USC and South Carolina. I mean, yeah. did they not – Texas just offered to – Do they not kind of keep up, like – I don't know. It's interesting because, like, I think it was about a week ago or so, Texas offered a couple Nebraska tight end targets. And it, it is curious. It's like, okay, whoa. And they're like four-star kids. What were you doing yeah, in March and April? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know, especially with, with Thomas. I mean, um, he's he should have every offer in the country. Um, he has know. Alabama, right? He has Alabama. And Georgia. Yep, and Georgia. Ohio State has not offered. They have though. not offered him. Um, Clemson know, has not Clemson offered. Clemson has not offered So either. those are the two big, big ones yeah. that haven't come in yet. Yeah, but, yeah, he's still still getting new offers. But, I, I, I like I said, I, I think Nebraska's in a good spot with him, and I think they're going to continue to be in a good spot with him. It's all going to come down to him and his visits. And, you know, ideally, I think he wanted to have the process over with before the start of the season next year. But since he hasn't been able to take those visits to places like uh, Alabama and Notre Dame and, and Michigan um, and places like that, I, I think that he's going to wait. He's going to kind of postpone making any any decision until he's able to take a few visits. But um, he's an early enrollee, though, right? I, I think that's the plan. And so, you know, he's not going to stretch this thing on too long. Uh, but again, I I. I continue to feel fairly confident. Now, I, I'm not quite as confident as I was in February or early March, but uh, I'm still still feeling pretty good. But Nebraska's at 10 commits right now. And when you look back to last year at this same point in time, they had three commitments. Uh, and I think they're, they could be on the verge of adding two to three more here in the next week or two uh, or three weeks. And so – um, their their recruiting class is chugging right along, and and uh, you know I like I like the pieces that they're adding to it. All right, well, lots to follow. Nate Klaus and the team on recruiting with Mike Matee and Brian Munson. and they will keep you up to date. So make sure you log on to HuskerOnline.com. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.